Good morning. Well, sometimes as a preacher, when you're, I preach at a lot of churches, and some of them you just, uh, to be honest, don't really look forward to going to. I mean, you just don't. Uh, sorry if that burst your bubble about preachers, but uh, Redeemer is the opposite. I always look forward to being here. Uh, this was our church home and seminary, we were here when Redeemer started, and it's always such a joy to be here. Got to hang out with your pastor last night, spent the night at Albert's house, and man, what a great guy. Hope y'all don't mess that up. Um, <laughs> we got to keep him in Mississippi. Don't, don't mess that up. He, uh, he's one of those guys, after you hang out with him, you all, I just I always wonder if I'm a Christian or not. Uh, uh, what a great dude. Also, uh, just thanks to the session. I always want to thank the elders for uh, approving somebody like me to preach here. That means a lot. Um, and then another big thanks. I had a number of students from Delta State drive all the way here this morning. So there we go. There we go. My people, I'm telling you, love my students. Uh, so thankful for them. And uh, that, that's the hardest thing about thinking about church planning is moving on from, from RUF because I've, I've loved it so much. But yeah, please uh, pray for us as we move into church planning this fall. And I'm sure uh, we'll be back to tell you all more about that. So let's read this uh, just one verse, which is kind of out of the ordinary, but we're just going to look at one passage that uh, most people are, are familiar with, John 3.16. So let's read that and then we'll pray. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning, so thankful that You love us and You have given us Your Word. And ultimately, uh, your word to us is your son. We're thankful that he is the word. He's the final word from you. We're thankful, Holy Spirit, that you have inspired Scripture and you have given us uh, a copy in our own language that we can read this morning. We're so thankful that you not only give that to us, but that you are with us and you open up our hearts to receive it. And so we pray this morning that you would give us soft hearts, that you would uh, help us to receive your word by faith, that we would trust you, we would trust that no matter how we feel this morning, that what, this, what your word says to us is more real even than the way we feel. And so we pray that we would hear and we would believe and we'd receive it with joy and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So when you think about what, God, what is God like, that's the, the question I want us to consider this morning. What is God like? I've done uh, campus ministry for a long time, uh, also in the military, and in both of those areas, I, I come into contact with lots of Christians and lots of non-Christians, and I've asked that question to a lot of people. What do you think God is like? And as many people as I've asked that question to, that's how many answers I've gotten. People who 
everybody has their answer, but especially here in the, in the South, in the Bible Belt, I get the answer, well, he's the God of the Bible. And I always press them a little bit, well, what do you mean by that? Because in the Bible, if you want to find a God of peace, he's there. If you want to find a God of war, he's there. If you want to find a compassionate God, vindictive God, you, you can pull any of those verses out of context and say, this is what God is like. You know, a big, uh, a big problem in the Old Testament, if, if you read through it, you keep, you keep hearing people say, uh, I want to see God's face. God, God, I want to see your face. I remember my first year at Delta State as a campus minister. I was going to meet with a freshman girl. We're going to meet up in the union and just talk. And that's kind of what you do as a campus pastor. You get to know people and hear their stories and try to pastor them. And so we're going to meet up. And she sent me a text message. She said, uh, Seth, are we still meeting up at 12? And I just sent back, yes. Y-E-S. No big deal, right? I mean, just responded, yes. And I get there to the meeting, and I can just tell she looks upset. So I sit down, and I say, hey, what, what, what's wrong? And she's like, why are you mad at me? <laughs> and I was like, you're a freshman in college. I'm not mad at you. You don't even, like, care about you. Just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> but I was like, I'm, I'm not mad at you. Like, why would you think, other than the kind of scowl that I wear on my face normally, like, why, why would you think I was mad at you? And she said, well, in your text message, you just said yes. And I was like, sorry, like, I guess I, so what I figured out though is like for freshman girls at Delta State, thank God they made emojis like a few years after that. So I just put that big smiley face like after my yes now, and I've never had that problem since. They, uh, they know Seth is not mad at me, all is right in the world. Another thing that, uh, that happened with the same idea of not being able to see someone's face really important is I was a after college I was a baseball coach I, I was not like the career ministry guy like I number one I wasn't a Christian until late in college uh, and so when after college everybody that knew me was like you definitely don't need to be in the ministry so I agreed and took that advice so I was like I'll, I played baseball I was like I'll be a baseball coach so coached baseball and when I so fast forward a few years. After seminary, when I, when I uh, became a campus pastor, I still kind of had that coach mentality. And so the night of large group, Tuesday night, my students will tell you, you know, I'm just kind of in the flow and I'm excited. And, and my wife was there and her back was to me. And I was walking up behind my wife and I was just going to give her a good game. You know, just a, just a, I was, I, you know, just going to give her a, let's go, let's do this. And so... I walked up behind her and I'm about a millimeter from her rear. And, uh, and I realized that is not my wife. Um, she's got, my wife has really long hair and this, anyway. So, so thankfully, that's why I'm still here today. Uh, I realized that was her and I pulled up and it was fine. She never even knew, I mean, I just kept walking. But my heart, my heart almost stopped because I had almost done like the career ending thing that you do as a, <laughs> as a pastor. So, and if you didn't know that, like don't, that's inappropriate. Don't do that. Um, so all that to say that you need to see somebody's face to know them. And all through the Old Testament, that's a problem. 
Like people are saying to God, I want to see your face. I want to, and why? Why do I want to see your face? Because I need to know the emotion on, the, on your face. I need to know if you are looking at me and you're happy with me, or you're looking at me with great disappointment. And do I need to respond with joy or fear, or how do I respond? And so the wonderful thing about when you get into the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, is that we see that, that Jesus tells us that He is the exact imprint of God. He is God. He's the face of God. So the first thing I want you to think about is just it, that you see in the text, God so loved the world, is who is this God? When John says, uh, when Jesus says, uh, God so loved the world, who is it he's talking about? And if you keep reading, you see that he's talking about the Father. That that's the way God talks, that Jesus talks about God. He says, he's the Father. If you were to flip back a couple of pages to John chapter 1 and verse 18, listen to what John says. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. You know, that was a pretty audacious claim for John to make. To say no one has ever seen God. Because if you read through the Old Testament, which some of you are probably trying to do here in January, starting out strong, uh, stick with it through Leviticus. You'll be all right. Um, but if you read through uh, the Old Testament, you realize people do see God, right? Like people, it even says, eat with Him. And they talk to Him and go in a tent with Him and hang out. And it's kind of mysterious, but we don't know what that looks like. But John says, no one's ever seen God. So what does he mean by that when he says that, that there's... There's not been ever, ever a person, a human being who's ever seen God. And he says, but Jesus is the one who makes him known. That if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. When I was, uh, when I was coaching baseball, and that's primarily what I did. I was that teacher that you don't want your kids to get in school. I was the English lit teacher who saw himself as the baseball coach. Not really, I was kind of there to... If we got around to English Lit, that was good, but most of the time we worked on my baseball field. So I remember looking up, trying to find something to do, unprepared, in class, trying to come up with something. And I was flipping through our Lit book, and I saw Sinners uh, in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards' sermon. Made it in the Lit book for public school, Mississippi, which I was kind of impressed by that. But, I, um, you know, as I thought about that, that became really his best-known sermon. And if you don't know much about that, Jonathan Edwards was mad at his congregation when he wrote that sermon. We do that. Like, sometimes pastors get mad and we just take it out on you up here. So that's what he was doing. And I bet he would be really frustrated to know that that became, like, his number one hit. Like, everybody knows about that sermon. And, you know, as I've talked to people, campus, Churches, military, what is God like? That image is stuck in people's minds and in people's hearts. This image that God is angry with me. God is disappointed. The look on God's face is just one of 99% of the time it's just disappointed. And the good news this morning is that Jesus shows us that that is a lie. 
that, that if there is one thing you would say about Jesus in the Gospels, it's that he was a friend of sinners. That, I mean, that is unmistakable. If you look at Jesus, you read through the Gospels, one thing you will see, sinners felt welcome in his presence. And so, that's good news. You know, what if, what if we really believe that, that? That right now, today, because the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That right now, this morning, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of people like me and you who are currently sinful. That's good news. All right, the second thing is he so loves the world. You know, ask yourself, when did God start loving you? Like when? When in time? When did God start loving you? If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, just listen to what Paul says. And I'm going to read it out of the NLT. It says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family and bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You know, do you ever feel like that? That it gave God great pleasure to adopt you into his family. He, and it says he wanted to do that. I was listening to a podcast uh, about a family who adopted a child from China. And they went through the whole process, this long and painful, expensive process. And they finally, they finally got there. And they got to meet baby Natalie, who they'd been praying for and looking forward to meeting. And they met baby Natalie, and they were, pray, they were uh, playing with her and just enjoying being with her. And then it came time to change her diaper, and they, they looked on her back, and she had a big scar on her back. And they were just, you know, obviously worried. And so they called the agency people over there, and they're like, hey, what, you know, what's this scar? What's, what's going on here? And so they called the doctor, and they brought her into the hospital. They did a bunch of tests, did CT scans, and said, uh, your baby had some kind of cyst on her spine, and a doctor just came in and did a hack job on her, just, just messed her up, and said, she's just a nine out of 10 chance. She's not going to be able to walk. She's, uh, she's going to require constant care for the rest of her life. And they, had, uh, they just had this decision to make. You know, they said, hey, what, like, what are we going to do? Because when we filled out our paperwork, we had the option to put if we could handle a special needs child or not. And they had put, we cannot. And, and so they had this decision before them. What are we going to do? You know, knowing that we're going to face tons of surgeries, constant care, wheelchair ramps, just everything that it was going to happen. And listen to what she said. She said, I knew this was my test. My life's worth distilled into a moment. I was shaking my head no before they finished explaining. We didn't want another baby, I told them. We wanted our baby. The one sleeping right over there. She's our daughter, I said. We love her. I love that story because it's just an example of human love, right? It's just an example of a family saying, you know what? We're choosing to love this baby even though we know how broken she is. Even though we know... Like what it's going to cost us to love her. And we're willing to do that. It's just we're just making the decision. You know, that's what that passage in Ephesians is saying. 
that when God decided beforehand, before the creation of the world, to adopt you into his family, he knew how broken you are. Like, not were. Right? That's how we usually talk about sin. Like, I was, like, no. Like, how broken you are currently. And I don't think we say that enough. I don't think we think about that enough, that, that God 100% knows the brokenness in your life. He knows, He knew what it was going to cost Him. And it said he, he wanted to adopt you into His family. And it brought Him great joy. You know, one of uh, a group of people that we don't talk about very much uh, in the church, and even though with this many people, there's, there's a lot of you here this morning. Usually what we do to you is we, uh, we call down to the Catholic Church and the Methodist Church. I, I don't know why, those two. We just, we just do that. And they open up their basement, and you get to come have really bad coffee and sit around in a circle and talk to each other. And we just kind of hide you away. Um, and that's the addicts, you know, the, the current addicts in the church. Um, and I think maybe more than any other group, like, you need to hear this this morning, that in your current state, whether you are relapsed, whether you relapsed last night, whether you are just struggling to even just, just the fact that you're here this morning is a miracle. And, and you need to hear that God... God knew how broken you are, and He wanted to adopt you into His family. Like, like you need to, I think that is one of the keys to recovery, and, and you need to hear that. And, and I do know this, you know, I went to RTS, I know I got some seminary folks in here. Um, I know there's this fear in the church. There's this fear, like, if, if we tell people that, like, we kind of need to keep that secret. If we tell people just how much God loves them in their brokenness, like what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to abuse that. They're going to they're going to say, "All right, well, if God loves me and He's always loved me, then I'll do whatever I want." Look, uh, the people. If you believe that, you need you need to get out more. Um, you need to stop reading so many books, and you need to get out and meet some people, like some human beings. Like, go to, recover, go, to a, go to an AA meeting this week. That's your assignment, if you believe that. And go in there, and unless somebody's on a court order, like, I've never met anybody in recovery who said, man, you know, God loves me, and I, I think I'm just going to keep kicking it with this cocaine. Like, I think I'm just, I just want to stay in this addiction, because it's really, it's really been good for my life. Like, nobody talks like that. Nobody who really is a Christian says, man, you know, I've never had a student call me, and I have had students do this because it's like the only number they have. I'll call Seth. Um, call me and me go pick them up from jail and them say, man, tonight has been an awesome night. I just, I want to do this again. Like, no, never has that ever happened. It's always been like weeping and does God still love me? And am I okay? And is, can I make it? This, uh, this fear that we have in the church of antinomianism, I just haven't met one yet. And so if, you are, if you're an antinomian you're here, I would love to meet you after worship. Just come up and introduce yourself. Because I, I don't believe you. You're kind of like a Bigfoot to me. I, I don't know. I've heard about you, but I don't really believe you exist. So I'd love to meet you. Um, look, this teaching that we used to argue about in seminary... Um, 
I don't argue about it anymore. This idea that God loved you before the foundation of the world, it's like medicine to me now. It's not something that I get in. Like if I hear some people arguing, I just run. I don't want to argue about it because it's become so precious to me. It's, it's, sometimes it is the only thing that I've been able to sit down with somebody who's so hurting and so broken and be able to share with them the fact that God loved them from before the foundation of the world. And that's like the only thing that we'll get through. So you're telling me before I ever made any of these decisions, before this like enemy inside of me that I can't seem to, I just just can't seem to kill. You're telling me before I even was aware of any of this that God loved me and chose me and somehow that gets through to him. And it's amazing. So the last thing is this. That, that we're not called to just like just enjoy that love in the church. Just to we are called to do that, but but we're part of the mission. That that it says God so loved the world that He sent, He gave, He gave His only Son. He gave us Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And and guys, that really happened. Like the the cross is really something objective. It's not subjective. Like. Like this morning, like, well, I don't really feel forgiven. Well, guess what? You are. And it happened. And it's objective. And, and there was actually something that occurred where God dealt with your sin. And He didn't ask you, hey, is it okay if I take away your sin? He did it decisively. It was a victorious moment in the history of the world where God paid in His body for our sins. And he calls us just to receive it. And, and what he tells us to do is he says, look, I don't want you, church, like we're not here to hand out tickets to heaven. But that's, not, that's not what we do. We're not, we're not saying, hey, would anybody like to go to heaven and we'll give you a ticket? You know, God is not doing that. What, what God is in the business of, has anybody watched those like HGTV shows like Fixer Upper and all that? Like, like that's what God is doing. That's what God is into. Like you see these houses and they're just broken down and people come in and they just completely renovate them. And it's just, it's like a new creation, right? It, it, nothing's, I mean, they didn't destroy it and build it again. They took what was there and they made it new. And that's what God wants us to do. He, look, God so loves this world. God has no desire to suck all of us up into heaven one day and like you know, sing all day. Like that's, that's not what God wants. Like God wants to renew this world because He loves this physical world. Like loves this world. Loves eating and drinking and dancing and working and all the things that we love to do. He loves those things. But He says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal this world. You know, somebody who, who really got this was uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist got it that when Jesus, like Jesus coming into the world didn't mean I get to go to heaven when I die. Like for him, he understood what the Old Testament was saying. When Messiah comes, that means God's going to make this world right. Like heaven is coming to earth. And so when John got put in prison, he was so confused. He was like, he sent a messenger to Jesus saying, hey, are you the one? Or should we expect another? Because I'm in prison, and Isaiah says, the prisoners will be set free. And I don't understand why I'm stuck in prison, because Messiah 
is supposed to do physical, concrete salvation, not just this spiritual idea. And Jesus uh, helped him understand that with a prophecy from, from Isaiah by telling him that the blind would see, uh, the lepers would be healed, the poor would have the good news preached to them. You know, Jesus didn't say to John, he didn't say, John, if look, close your eyes and bow your head and just accept me into your heart and you'll go to heaven one day. He, he didn't say that. He said, hey, these real physical, tangible things are going to happen in this world and they're happening right now. And what I would say is that for most of us, unlike John, we don't even expect salvation. Like we've just gotten used to the way things are. We're okay with racism. We're okay with poverty. We're okay with all the brokenness of this world because we don't understand that, what, that God loves this world. And He's not just giving out tickets. He wants to, He is in the process of renewing this world and making all things new. And so I know that, uh, I do know that Redeemer is on that mission. That y'all are such an important part of this neighborhood. Such an important part of what's happening in Jackson. So I want to encourage y'all that, uh, that you're doing the mission. And that God is using you to make all things new. Let me finish with this. Um, you know, it's still kind of that time, the, the beginning of the year where you're thinking... Hey, I'm gonna, this year's going to be different. I'm going to do things different this year. And, and one thing I want to leave you with is just something maybe you could make this like the theme of your year. It's something that uh, Robert Murray McShane said. He said, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. Isn't that great? I think Presbyterians need to hear that more than any other like, people in Christendom. We just love to like, look at our sin. We love to just like, and we obsess over it. We almost worship it. Like, just talk, any Presbyterian I sit down, I just want to talk about their sin. Like, let's just, I'm like, how about we talk about Jesus? Like, he's dealt with your sin. Like, nah, let's, let's focus on my sin. I'd rather talk about my sin. He says, look, for every time you even think about the sin in your life, take 10 looks at Jesus. That would be the healthiest thing you could do. Listen how he, how he ends it. He says, live much in the smiles of God. Remember I talked about at the beginning, the face of God? You know, what if you believe that? I, I, I struggle with it to this day. What if you believe that, that the smile of God was upon you? Not because how you lived this week, but because God in eternity past decided that He wanted to adopt you into His family. And He said, you know what? My smile is going to be upon you. I'm going to love that person. What if you believe that and you said, you know what? I'm going to practice this. I'm going to live in the smiles of God. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to, that's where I'm going to live today. I, I promise you that is difficult. Like, and you will find the old sinners in the hands of the angry God like trying to pull you out of there. And you just got to say, you know, that's what repentance means. It means to change your mind. It means that I'm going to stop thinking of God the way I thought of him. And I'm going to live much in the smiles of God. He says, bask in His beams, feel His all-seeing eye settled on you in love, and repose in His almighty arms. That is good news. And Paul has told us that the good news, that message of God's love for you, His smile upon you, it is the power of God unto salvation. 
that whether you're a Christian or not this morning, that that is the power that we need in this life. It's the gospel. It comes from believing that God loves you, He smiles upon you, He is for you. Amen. Let's believe the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Father, would you help us to believe and, and to see uh, in our hearts, just like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that they might know the love of Christ. Speaking to church people, speaking to people who already knew the love of Christ, that he knew uh, that we need to know it in a much deeper way. And so, Father, I pray for Redeemer Church. I pray that they might know the love of Christ, that it would be the power that's at work in this church, that this would be a church that is alive, that's on mission, that's seeing your kingdom come, that's seeing things made new. And so, Father, I pray uh, that you would give us trust this morning. We would be able to believe the gospel apart from how we feel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.